This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. The question we are asked often is... So the economy is better, and that means there is less need for the services of the food bank, right? That appears to be logical, and for the most part, I believe it to be an honest inquiry that deserves a thoughtful response. Perhaps the inquiry is rooted in the idea that employment equals food security for a household. The disconnect between full-time employment and food security has grown substantially during the past 40 years. Today, our guest is Lou Glazer, president of Michigan Futures Incorporated, an Ann Arbor-based think tank. In an article in Crane's Detroit Business, Mr. Glazer enlightens us on why it is possible, reasonable, and even logical for people to need the food bank more now than even when the economy is strained. Here are some facts from his article. For the first time ever, Michigan is a low-prosperity state, even though we have a strong domestic auto industry. We are 10% below the national average in per capita income. And perhaps you think there is a partisan reason for where we find ourselves today. Mr. Glazer writes, Since the turn of the century, no matter who was in control in Lansing and Washington, more and more Michigan households are facing the cost of basic necessities rising faster than wages and benefits. It doesn't matter which party is in the majority because they both have been. Lastly, the article in Crane says, The recovery from the Great Recession has produced lots of jobs, which is the good news. But far too many Michigan households, most with at least one working adult, are struggling to make ends meet. Mr. Glazer points that measuring the success of the economy by more than just the unemployment rate is necessary. It's time for me to step aside so we can talk to Lou Glazer, our guest today on Food First Michigan. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment. As promised, everyone, Lou Glazer, who is the president of Michigan Future, an Ann Arbor-based economic think tank and a recent uh, author for a op-ed in De- Crane's Detroit Business. And uh, Lou, welcome to Food First Michigan. But I got to tell you, I found your uh, piece in Crane's Detroit Business extraordinary and very much on target in my mind. Yeah, thanks. Well, it's great to have you. So tell us a little bit about Michigan Future and uh, your role there, and also uh, we'll then we'll jump into kind of your commentary uh, about the Michigan economy. Yep, so this is like uh, started in 1991. I was one of the co-founders and have been sort of running it on my own since 93. Uh, nonpartisan, nonprofit, data-driven, um, really as a pretty traditional think tank uh, with a focus uh, on the Michigan economy, but really from a unique perspective, which is sort of the economic well-being of Michigan households, uh, and always with the notion that uh, that the goal should be uh, recreating a Michigan with a broad middle class. 
uh, a place where sort of people can raise a family, pay the bills, save for their retirement, their kids' education. Uh, and have been chronicling for ever since we got started in 91, sort of a decline in uh, the number of households uh, that are able to do that. So the Cranes app is a summary of um, sort of all the research and uh, that we've done and trying to make the case that, um, because I think it's a particularly important time, that just having a low unemployment rate, which clearly we do at the moment, and decent economic growth, which we do at the moment, is is not the same as having a good economy. A good economy should be measured by whether or not uh, households have uh that you have an economy that, as it grows, is benefiting everyone. And and clearly, this economy is not. So I'm going to read one, the thing that absolutely jumped out. It's right at the beginning of the article, and it says this. There are more Michigan households today unable to pay for basic necessities than there were in 2010 when Michigan was just starting to recover from the Great Recession. More Michigan households today unable to pay for basic necessities. Then you go on to talk about the Alice Report from the United Way, and uh, and I and we are going to want to talk a little bit about the self-sufficiency standard that uh, we've published through the Food Bank Council of Michigan and how it intersects with that. But I think our experience in in food security work and, and with our food banks across the state and the, the pantries and schools and those that we work with um, see this practically feet on the ground in exactly the way this is said, that almost half of the people we see are employed. And they still need emergency and supplemental food support because they just can't figure out how to make ends meet. And our culture, which which rewards people for independence, creates such a burden of shame on those households when, in fact, so much of what they're challenged to solve isn't their fault. Exactly. Well, that's the point that we're trying to make, uh, I think, with this op-ed, which is that the problem is structural. So first, why, you know, people sort of have a hard time understanding why the percent of households that can't pay for basic necessities is going up, even though the economy's getting stronger. And the simple reason is, is that wages and benefits are rising slower than the cost of necessities, which includes food, but also housing and child care and transportation. The cost of those things are going up quicker than people's work-based income. Um, so the, the structural problem is, the, the fundamental structural problem is, is that we have an economy that's simply producing too many low-wage jobs. So the Alice Report uses, um, from the United Way, uses um, uh, 20, uh, 60% of the jobs pay less than $20 an hour is sort of their threshold to make that case. Um, it's also 40% of the jobs pay less than $15 an hour. So, you know, you you have all sorts of people who are working, who are sort of in the, are independent, uh, and are trying to earn enough money to um, to pay the bills and raise a family. And um, and so you could have 100% of people who meet that in the independent standard. And the reality still is is that way too many jobs don't pay enough. 
So that's the structural problem. Yeah, and one of the things that we also uh, talk about when we talk about this issue in particular is many of those jobs are jobs that we want and need. So I'll give the example of people that work in the restaurant business. Exactly. You, if you want clean dishes, someone has to clean them. And I don't know anyone that doesn't want clean dishes when they go to a restaurant, right? I mean, it seems pretty logical that you would want that. And yet the restaurant industry as a whole is a very low margin business. They don't make a lot of money just to support the staff that they have. And so when we think about the structural and systematic things that have to be done, it's not a simple matter. There, it's, it's not one solution for the whole problem. It's going to take multiple solutions with an eye on the industries that we're talking about that are up employing these people at the wages that they're paying. Well, I think you guys are are spot on, both of you, and I want to pick this up on that, but we've got to we got to pay a few bills on our own here, so we're going to take a break. He's Lou Glazer. He is the president for Michigan Future. That's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and we're back in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Thanks for listening, everyone. We're back here, Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight in the studio with our guest on our WJR line, Lou Glazer, who is the president for Michigan Future, a nonprofit, nonpartisan uh, think tank that really emphasizes and, uh, and focuses on the Michigan economy. But, Lou, you do that with a bit of a unique perspective, and that's because you're, you're really looking about how uh, the Michigan economy affects the Michigan household. Is that correct? That is correct. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think we understood from when we got started, like almost 30 years ago, that, um, that just having a low unemployment rate or a strong economic growth rate or, you know, now everybody wants to measure things based on the stock market – uh, is not the right way to think about the economy. The right way to think about the economy is whether or not uh, it is uh, allowing people to uh, pay the bills and raise a family. Well, I, when I think about it from the lens that you're looking for, it reminds me that my mentor used to say that uh, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's really what um, you're indicating in this op-ed that you were uh, you published in uh, Crane's Detroit Business uh, just recently. Uh, the thing that jumped out for me in that Jerry shared a little bit about what jumped out for him is that um, that that we are for the first time ever the very opening line of the of the article that you wrote for the first time ever Michigan is a low prosperity state with a strong domestic auto industry. Yep, exactly. So the Michigan economy, so, you know, the Michigan story up until 2000, you know, sort of the modern Michigan story up until 2000, uh, from sort of Henry Ford on was, uh, is that we created America's mass middle class, which was largely high-paid factory jobs. So for almost all the 20th century, we we were one of the most prosperous places on the planet, particularly when the domestic auto industry was doing well, which was for most of the century. Uh, You know, then we went through this huge slump from 2000 to 2010, where, you know, the the domestic auto industry basically ended up bankrupt. 
but but it's gotten strong again. But despite it getting strong, Michigan has gone from, you know, a state that always in per capita income was in the top 20 and uh, to a state now that is um, sort of in the bottom 20 in all of the measures of economic well-being. So that's what's new, is that a strong auto industry is no longer enough to sort of have a mass middle class. Well, and when we think about what were the, what the definition of a strong auto industry is, we know that wages went down within that industry Correct. to try to match what what that industry believes was disparity between them and other automakers around the world. And right. so, and some of that has to do with government support, and and some of that has to do with healthcare costs, and some of that mm-hmm. has to do with education. And I know those issues are things you address to some degree in your op-ed as well. I mean, uh, for for a for a about a page of information, there's a lot in there to digest mm. and just kind of pick through because, you know, it, it is, there's so many factors that lead to these things. But I think that your, you, you list, uh, you have a list of, you know, here's the things, you know, and I, and I think it was four things. Yep. Yes. And, four. um, and I think we should, we should start walking through those four things about what, what are these structural things? Because, uh, I, I I just think it's really important for for our listeners to really get the the scope and content of this. Right. So so the first and by far the most important is is that um, there just are too many low wage jobs. There are too many jobs uh, that um, that pay too little uh, to pay the bills and raise a family. Um, so the Alice. Uh, the United Way uses the uh, that we mentioned in the first segment the 60% of jobs pay less than $20 an hour statistic so and this isn't a strong economy so we're not growing our way out of it there's there simply are too many low-wage jobs and as you mentioned you know like with the restaurant jobs and there's all sorts of other categories uh, you know that's work that a is not going away and B that that we want people to do so that's the first problem the the second problem is, as you mentioned, is education-related. Uh, our education attainment is substantially below uh, the nation's. Almost all of the better-paying jobs uh, require a four-year degree, uh, and Michigan doesn't have enough adults with four-year degrees. But even the better-paying jobs that don't require a four-year degree, and they're a minority of the best-paying jobs, uh, we have too few people with the right skills. So we've got an education attainment structural challenge. Uh, the third is, um, you know, that sort of the Amazon headquarter competition, I think, proved for us, which is the way in which you get more good-paying jobs is that you have high concentrations of um, of particularly young professionals that employers are looking for. And Michigan still is not an attractive place for young professionals to choose to live and work because they're looking for sort of high-density, high-amenity urban neighborhoods, which Michigan doesn't have enough of. Uh, And then finally, sort of Michigan does, it has fallen to 38th in the country in the proportion of adults who work. Um, so we do have a group of folks who should be in the labor market who aren't, and we've got to deal with that as well. So th- those are the four challenges. If we're serious about 
an economy that, as it grows, benefits everybody, which is sort of our definition of a successful economy. Those are the four structural challenges uh, that the state needs to deal with, uh, and at the moment, by and large, is not dealing with. So I want to, because I, I want to make sure our listeners um, uh, don't walk away from this show thinking that people just don't want to work. So, so I wanna I wanna make a few comments about that. The first one is the vast majority of the people that we help want to work, but right. if most you, of them probably are working. Yeah, but if you work sixty sixty five hours a week, and you bring your paycheck home, and you still don't have enough to feed your family, it is a huge disincentive to work. And so part of part of our mantra on that issue is we've got to make sure we have the right supports in place because people do want to work. But God dang it, if you're working two jobs and you don't have health care and so you're, you're finding yourself constantly in a financial crisis, it just breaks you down. It breaks down the household, it breaks down the individual, and it makes it really difficult for people to get on their own feet. And one more point, um, uh, and this really goes back to your first point, when you talk about the too many low paid jobs, we know the answer to what pay has to be. And the Alice Report is one of the places you can look, but our self-sufficiency standard from the Food Bank Council of Michigan has over 700 household types. It covers every county in the state of Michigan, and it has a basic needs budget for each of those households. So if you're an adult with two children, or if you're two adults and two children, or if you're a single adult, whatever county you live in, there is a basic needs budget that says this is what it actually costs to live in that county. And and then you start to break down the way you broke it down uh, in terms of this is how many jobs don't meet that standard. The evidence is clear. It's not something we're guessing at. We know the answer. Yes. I mean, I think, right. So, I mean, I'm I'm really interested in your um, in your self-sufficiency budget. Um, um, you know, we've ended up using the Alice budget, and I'm sure the two are pretty similar. But uh, absolutely, no matter no matter who's ending up trying to calculate how much it costs, uh, you know, to pay for the basics. Um, there simply are not enough jobs that allow people to do that, even in um, two-worker households. Right. Um, right. So, so that is the structural problem in the economy. So I think, too, Lou, that um, Jerry alluded to the uh, self-sufficiency standard, and everybody can find that at fbcmish.org slash self-sufficiency standard. So that's fbcmish.org slash self-sufficiency standard. And really the difference, and uh, we'll close this segment out and then pick it up on the other side of the break, is Alice is a great study from our friends and partners at the United Way, and it really defines who and um, and in Michigan is struggling to make ends meet even though they are employed and are working, and how many of them are. Like, And the self-sufficiency standard really establishes an end goal so here's the beginning point in Alice, and here's the end point in the self-sufficiency standard. And our job, among with your, your thoughts here in your op-ed, is how do we get work support policies to actually do that <laughs> instead of dropping people off of financial cliffs. So I want to pick that up and get your comments on that on the other side of this 
break. He's Lou Glazer. He's the president for Michigan Future. That's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and this is Food First Michigan. Food First Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. We're back. Dr. Phil Knight here with Jerry Passan in the WJR studio. Our guest on our line today, Lou Glazer, the president of Michigan Future, who just recently authored an opinion on, at Crane's uh, Detroit Business. Uh, we encourage you to Google that and find it. And uh, we're talking a little bit about um, the self-sufficiency standard. And when you guys were talking uh, the last segment, Jerry, uh, it reminded me, Lou, that our the study, self-sufficiency standard, um, out of the top 10 jobs, that is the top 10 fields uh, that, that, that employ the greatest number of people, out of those top 10 jobs in Michigan, how many of those pay a self-sufficiency standard? And the answer would be one. one. And that's in the medical field. Yeah. The, the top Nine out of the top ten jobs that employ the most people do not pay a right. living wage. Uh, right. uh, uh, certainly a self-sufficiency standard wage. Yeah, exactly. So, and my guess is the one is nurses, right? Yeah, you're exactly right. right. Yeah, no, there's no question about it. I mean, that's, um, um, you know, the more you dive into the data, the more that you realize this is a low-wage dominated economy. Um, so the one thing that we were talking about uh, in the last segment that I wanted to make sure that we um, sort of talk about is, uh, it, you know, it's not just that there's lots of occupations that uh, are low paying, but also uh, the Alice rate, sort of the proportion, you know, it's 43% in Michigan that in a good economy cannot pay for basic necessities. It's 1.7 million households, so it's a huge number of households. But um, but I do think it's important to say there is no county in Michigan with an Alice rate below 30%. So it's in every county, uh, all races, uh, and all ages. So mm-hmm. this is an all-Michigan problem. It's not just an urban problem. It's not just uh, a racial minority problem. It's not just a rural problem. It's an all-Michigan problem, uh, and it is structural. It is not changing just because the economy is growing. And even in practical terms, we know this because of the kids that get free and reduced lunches in schools. It's one of the things that we look at to determine where is the greatest need so that we can, you know, try to meet that need. I mean, uh, children and and hunger, they just shouldn't go together. So, So we look at that and it supports exactly what you just said. Every school district in the state of Michigan has kids and families who are at 180% of poverty or below. That's the threshold for kids to get free and reduced lunch in school. Right. And, and so, Alice, yeah. And the Alice threshold's like uh, two, almost 2.5 uh, times poverty, so it's even higher than... Well, because the, the poverty right. standard is right. ridiculously so low. low. I mean, so it low. hasn't been changed since the 1960s. Don't, right, exactly. Yeah, don't get me started. So... <laughs> So one of the things, too, I think you'll find fascinating about, uh, Lou, about the self-sufficiency standard that complements the ALICE study. There's no competition here. We're not sure. working to compete. We're trying to work to complete each other's work. And um, is, is in, in, your, in your town, in Ann Arbor, in Washtenaw County, 
Uh, we publish by county the number of hours a person would need to work to achieve self-sufficiency based at a minimum wage scale. Okay, so in Washtenaw County, out of 168 hours during the work, that person would only need to work about 125 of those. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and that's why when you when you when you talk about people not working, it is so important to realize it's not for a lack of desire to work. It's that after your hundredth hour of work and you still can't make ends meet, it is darn frustrating. It's well, it's it's demoralizing, is what it right. is. And that's right. one of the studies we've got to do here, and we have done at some level, and we'll talk about that on another show, but. But the impact of constantly living under that toxic stress that food insecurity, among other crises, brings into a person's life. Lou? No question. No question. So the, I mean, I always say to people, the mo- you know, ALICE is just an acronym, um, that the most important letter in ALICE is the E, which is employed. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, most of the people who can't pay for basic necessities live in households with a working adult. So it's, um, you know, it's not a irresponsibility problem. Uh, it is a structural problem that there's just not enough good-paying jobs. And we really don't want to pay, you know, more than we have to pay as consumers. And so, you know, it's a, it's a dynamic issue that requires a little bit of attitude adjustment going an awful lot of different ways, right? We have to have the information in front of us that says, here's the problem. And again, we are so grateful for the work that you did to put your your opinion piece together because we thought it did such a phenomenal job of laying it out in very simple, clear terms. This is the problem ahead of us. Now, with that, what information do we have to help us solve the problem. And in our work, where we're really dealing with very many people who are very low income and who are trying hard to solve all their life's problems on their own and too often don't ask for enough help. Or ask for help soon enough. Right. I mean, uh, you know, to have this kind of support in writing for, so here's the kind of policies we need to think about uh, to bring people the right structural supports to, to help them do what they already want to do, which is to be independently living with no help. Correct. So, um, I mean, I th- folks can certainly go to our website. It's michiganfuture.org. Um, you know, there's a series of posts and, <clears throat> and reports that we've written. There's one particular that we did on um, shared prosperity, sort of our ideas looking around the country, which are sort of the best policies around the country to help sort of broadly share prosperity. Um, what that op-ed basically calls for is is the state making as its economic mission um, sort of a rising household income for all. Um, so we're in the process of sort of as a our board is in the process of trying to put together their policy ideas, but but the reality is is that all of us need to do that, and that's the topic that we should be debating, as opposed to mm-hmm. what's happening now, because the unemployment rate is low. Most of the commentary about the economy is celebratory, right? We got the best economy ever kind of nonsense. So uh, so it behooves all of us to begin a great debate about how you have an economy that benefits everybody. Uh, that's what been, what's been missing in this state for decades. I, I, well, 
I, I think that is a awesome perspective. And um, how, Lou, tell us again how folks can find you. Yep, so michiganfuture.org. Um, everything's there. And um, you can sign up for a newsletter that we have where people can um, get copies of you know, sort of keep up to date with all the new stuff that we're doing. So MichiganFuture.org. Excellent. And I think on our end, you know, we we would love to be part of some of those policy conversations. Um, I think it would be a great use of time to meet you in Ann Arbor. Uh, it's kind of in the middle between Dr. Phil and me, and maybe even bring some other people together to talk sure. about how we think food policy intersects with the policy conversations your board is having. It's a really important time, as you say, to be doing this work together. Yeah, look forward to the conversation. He's Lou Glazer. He's the president for Michigan Future. He's been our guest today. Lou, thanks so much for your uh, effort, your perspective, and uh, the discipline it takes to write as well as you did for uh, this recent article that was found in Crane's Detroit Business. Yeah, my pleasure. Jerry and I are back to wrap up this edition of Food First Michigan in just a moment. Jerry, that was Lou Glazer, the president for Michigan Futures, and um, we both read his article, his op- his opinion in Crane's Detroit Business this past uh, week, and we thought it resounded very well, particularly with our study, the self sufficiency standard. Well, you know, it was it was very concise. And uh, so it was easy to understand. And, and both of us are regular readers of Cranes Detroit Business. It's, a, it's an excellent publication. There's a, a lot of good things in there often. This one resonates so much with our work because fundamentally we believe people are worth investing in. And when we say that, we mean people want to solve their own problems. And if you give them the support they need, they will. And so the return on the investment is a win for everybody. But we got to understand what those investments should be. And one of the roadblocks to getting the right investment at the right time to produce the best results is people's belief that no help is needed. Mm -hmm. And I think what Lou did a great job of summarizing is there's help needed. There are still significant structural problems that keep people from being successful. And it's not just their problem. It's not just somebody else. This is happening in every community in our state that has people that want to be successful, but instead of getting the support they need to be successful, they're getting held back by I mean, fundamentally wrong attitudes and wrong data about what people actually face every day. But with, but with people who have a very high standard for all of us, and that standard is self-sufficiency. That's exactly right. I mean, I think conservatives, I think liberals, I think people on the left, people on the right, I think those of us who are doing this work, I think the people that we are working with and for and standing in the gap, everybody wants the same thing. To not need us and not need the government and to be self-sufficient. And if we could start there, at that as a, as a premise, I think it would really impact our strategy. Yeah, I mean, so I have, I mean, so you know my ire gets up and we start talking about, here it is, here it is, in simple terms. When there are still hundreds of thousands of hungry children in our state, the economy isn't good enough. I don't care by what measure. Right. Hundreds of thousands of hungry kids in our state 
The economy isn't good enough. We've got to do other things. We can't just celebrate the good parts. We have got to face hard truths about what happens to our community when we allow hundreds of thousands of kids not to reach their potential. Well, and I think, too, that we did a a show, you know, we're in our third year doing the show now, right? And so we did a show a few years ago with the uh, CEO for the Michigan Manufacturing Association. And the theme of that show was work is good. Yeah. Because it's the biggest tool in the anti-hunger toolbox. No question. By far. By far. And so, I mean, there's, and then government has a role and charity has a role and the community has a role and the people who are food insecure. Everybody's got a role to play to solve this, right? But work is good. And so I think we do celebrate the idea, the creation of the jobs that we have because they're, they're, it's better than not having jobs, right? We've, we've seen both the sides of those. But I think what Mr. Glazer really brings home to us is not just the amount of jobs, but the types of jobs. And can they get us to, or a family, a household, to a self-sufficiency standard? So they don't need us, and they don't need the government. And of course, the stumbling block for all these solutions is, who should pay for it? That's the biggest, hardest question. And the answer is, we're all paying for it now. I mean, (laughs) to think that we're not paying for it now is not looking at the information that we have. The cost to our economy for not solving problems that we have the ability to solve is way greater than the cost to solve the problems. But we get hung up on who should pay for it. Are you going to pay for it? Are you going to pay for it? Are you going to pay for it? Well, let's talk about that differently. Let's say there's an investment that needs to be made and the return on that investment should pay the investors back. That's an okay way to think about this because what we know is when you solve even just one piece of this, which we're responsible for, which is food security, when you solve that, the benefits of solving it outweigh the cost at least 10 to 1. At, at least, least 10 to at 1. At least. So, so, and it's not the only problem that falls into that category. So we have to stop, as you say, fixing the blame, start fixing the problem, understanding better how these investments work to solve these problems and how we all win when they're solved. And I know those are platitudes, right? Those are easy things to say, but that's what excites me about our work, Doctor. We're not just talking about it, we're doing it. Well, I, I think it excites me too because... Um, we're taking a to to borrow from another show. We're having an an infinite mindset with finite finite objectives, and so we recognize that we're not going to solve this problem. Uh, uh, Lou referred to it as structural, and part of the structural problems are policies that work against work. Right, and I think those have to be addressed. I do think, and I'm I'm not going to take a lot of time here because I've ranted on the show enough. Uh, <laughs> but the federal poverty measure starts and ends until we fix that. We're all going to struggle to make this solution occur. Well, it sets up the wrong narrative. The federal poverty measure was created at a time when we didn't have near as much information as we have today. But as you've said, the person that comes out and adjusts that to be what it really should be, just put millions of more people in poverty. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. So is it better to to live fooling yourself than it is to face the fact that when almost half of the people that come to us for help are employed, and that is not how it should work? 
Right. Right. That is the truth. But the federal poverty measure does not account for the number of people who are really helping themselves. But it's just not enough yet. And that's just one one example of how that measure is not helping us make good policy decisions. Well, we're going to change it. I believe that day's coming. So it's time for a little food for thought. The hope and expectation are that people will not need the government or charity to make ends meet. But the reality is there is a disconnect between full-time employment and food security that has never existed before at the level it does today, and certainly in this economy. I believe the first step towards self-sufficiency is food security. The ALICE study published by the United Way defines who and how many people in Michigan are struggling with more month than money in a good economy. The self-sufficiency standard published by the Food Bank Council of Michigan offers a view of the end game. How much is enough for who, where in Michigan? The self-sufficiency standard for Michigan can be found at fbcmich.org slash self-sufficiency standard. and is far more accurate than the outdated federal poverty measure used to determine eligibility for work supports. The challenge has been articulated by Alice and the end goal established by the self-sufficiency standard. What is left is to create good policy based on the data that supports work and encourages people to keep on working toward the day they don't need us or the government to make ends meet. We do this by rewriting legislation and policy that allows benefits to stretch all the way across the self-sufficiency scale. We do this instead of dropping people off a financial cliff and de-incentivizing work. And until these policies change, we will continue to stand in the gap for our hungry neighbors. We will work diligently to take hunger off the table so they can leverage themselves toward a better life. And we will do this by making food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.